So we made it to the end. This is the last lesson in our series in 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to be in chapter 5, 12 through 28. And I wanted to start off just thanking the, the group of men who have been teaching in this series with me, Matt and Nathan. Thank you guys for all of your encouragement and your, your dedication in this. Um, even Nathan Gerhardt, thank you for being part of our Thursday morning uh, Bible study as well with it. And Jeff, thank you for all your dedication and your work in helping us prepare for this every week. Um, and I want to thank the Lord for, for sending His Spirit to work through us in this as well, because without the Spirit, we, we wouldn't be able to do this properly, and you guys wouldn't be able to receive it properly. So um, thank you guys for everything that you've done through all this. Um, so I get the pleasure now not only teaching the last 17 verses of this first letter to the Thessalonians from Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus, but I get to put a whole bow on the whole book and see how the end of this letter really ties in the entire letter. We get all the themes that we've seen so far um, in this letter. And if you recall, a couple months ago, Matt gave us the introduction to this to this letter and gave us the main theme of what Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy were writing to the Thessalonians about and commending them in the three pillars that they had established themselves in. Um, does anybody remember what those three pillars were? Jeremy? Faith, hope, love. Well, he's got all three. There you go. Yeah, faith, hope, and love. And that came from verse 3 in chapter 1, when he says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've seen throughout this letter examples of how the Thessalonians displayed each one of these pillars. In chapter 1, their, their work of faith in spreading the word of the Lord in Macedonia and Achaia. And in chapter 2, their perseverance through hope and the difficult trials of their persecution. And in chapter 3, the encouraging reports from Timothy of their love for others and their love for the apostles. And then in chapter 4 and 5, Paul gives further instructions to the Thessalonians and how to faithfully continue to have and to show this hope and to show love for one another in preparation for the day of salvation. So turn to me, turn with me to your, in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. With the end of the letter here in verses 12 through 28. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help of the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all situations and circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. 
Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all of the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you're driving in a car. And you don't have to imagine too much. You guys all drove here. So, but think about yourself or somebody else driving you around and the things that you observe on the road. Think about the other cars that are on the road that are driving around you. Possibly a police officer that you pass or the road itself, the traffic lights, the, the road signs. We don't often think about when we're driving what actually and how much actually has to go right for us to get to wherever we're going on a daily basis. I mean, for me this morning, getting to church, there wasn't much risk because I live across the street from it. So <laughs> there wasn't much risk for something to go wrong for me to not get here. But for the gig comes or for the gear hearts or even for Pastor Jeff, who have to drive a little bit farther to get here, if something goes wrong, they're at risk of getting here late or perhaps not at all. I mean, we rely on the fact that everything that we encounter on the road has to work in harmony, in peace. Otherwise, what happens if just one thing goes wrong? I mean, our peace turns into chaos. We have to deal with a car breaking down or an accident happening. I mean, what happens if someone decides to go on red or stop on green or is driving too fast or too slowly? Or there's a giant pothole in the middle of the road and we can't get past it. I mean, we certainly have all experienced one or probably all of these situations and understand the consequences of these. And it certainly isn't peaceful. And Paul uses this word peace twice in our text. First, at the end of verse 13, when he says, Be at peace among yourselves. And then secondly, in verse 23, he says, be sanctified completely by the God of peace himself. And it's interesting to hear Paul teaching about peace after what we heard Nathan teach last week when Paul said in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. But remember who Paul was talking about in Nathan's lesson there. He was referring to those who in his words were in the dark, who were asleep, even said they're drunk. And what were they all these things too? Again, in verse 3 he said, to sudden destruction. And what Nathan taught us last week was these people didn't want to disrupt their, their peace and security in this world for the peace and security of knowing that when Jesus returns that they will not be caught up in the wrath of God. In verse 9 it said, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So in contrast, remember how Paul describes, described the Thessalonians last week. He said, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. Hope, faith, and love. So what does that all mean? What did that all mean to the Thessalonians? I mean, what did it mean to them to be children of the light, to put on the breastplate of faith and love, and to put on the helmet of hope of salvation? Well, in, in, in Paul's conclusion in his letter to the Thessalonians in our text today, Paul's instructing the Thessalonians on how to live out this type of life. And, to, and this is my theme, to always strive to live peacefully. And we're going to be looking at our text in five different parts. And in each part, we're going to equate what Paul's teaching to the Thessalonians as parts of what we experience on the road whenever we drive. So in the first part, we're going to be looking at the police officer. So look how our text begins. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I mean, the world has a varying degree of respect and opinion for their police force. But we can all agree that one of the main tasks of our police officers is to keep peace amongst the, the citizens. I mean, they're often re referred to as peacekeepers. And they labor among us in our daily lives and admonish us or discipline us when we break the rules. And we honor our, our police officers because of that work, because of the sacrifices that they make to ensure that we can live peacefully, that we can live safely. And what Paul instructs the Thessalonians churches to treat their leaders, their elders, the same way. We think about Hebrews 13, when it talks about the great responsibility that leaders have in the church. It says, For they are keeping watch over our souls as those who will have to give account. So Paul is having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation here with the Thessalonians and saying, if you are to always strive to live peacefully, you must appreciate your leaders and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And look how Paul describes this work of the leaders. He says, they are those who labor among you. They are over you in the Lord. They are who admonish you or instruct you. And because of these things, the leaders deserve respect. They deserve appreciation. And Paul says that the leaders of these Thessalonians work among them. Good leaders lead by example. And that's what Paul and Silvanus and Timothy did when, he, when they visited the Thessalonians. They showed the importance of working diligently, and that's for everyone. And back in chapter 2 and verse 9, he said, 
For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. I mean, this was certainly to show that no one was too important or had any excuses to be idle in their work, which was likely an issue with the Thessalonians because Paul brings that up in both of his letters to them. No, they weren't just simply barking orders and sitting around watching them do work. No, they were leading by example as those who were over them in the Lord. And that over them in the Lord implied that they had some type of authoritative role that elders have over the church and their people. Just like a police officer has an authoritative role over the people on the road, Paul tells the Thessalonians, these leaders among you, they have been put in charge over you by the authority of the Lord. A shepherd doesn't just lead his sheep by just being one of the sheep. No, he has authority over the sheep to lead them. And not in some dictatorship way, but in a loving way. And in a way that allows them to guide their people, to correct them when they're wrong, and to instruct them on the right path of righteousness. And ultimately, in a way that keeps peace among the people, in the body of the church. So that one day, when he gives account of his sheep, he can present them to the Lord and say, Look, look how good, and the work, look at the good work your people did. Paul instructs the Thessalonians in verse 13, Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And if we are to always strive to live peacefully, we can't be disrespecting our leaders. This is only going to lead to chaos and to tension within the church. I mean, I think, I think about last year when we had those two big votes in our church around the land sale and the nursery remodel. And there was definitely a little bit of tension around each one of those votes. But the overwhelming majority of the members in our church said, these are the elders that we voted in. There's a reason we voted them in. I mean, these are the men that we fellowship with regularly, who we love like brothers. And we respect them and appreciate all that they do for us and trust that if they were bringing this matter to the church, that they've carefully thought about this, that they've prayed about it, and ultimately think that this is going to further the kingdom of God. And once the dust settled on the vote, praise the Lord, there was a sense of peace across the church. But I think we got a small scale, or on a small scale, what Paul is talking about to the Thessalonians and why he's stressing this to them and why it's so important for them to appreciate and esteem their leaders so highly in love. Because without it, they, they could not live in peace with one another or with their leaders. And these leaders are put in this position, not by some worldly authority, but given by the authority of Jesus Christ, who empowers them to 
in that authority so that they can be an extension of Christ Jesus them, him, themselves to oversee his flock and to keep the peace until the day he returns. So as we continue our journey on the road, we wave goodbye to that police officer and we look ahead and we see our fellow drivers on the road, some of which may be our brothers and sisters, perhaps in our church, some that will not be. And if we think about it, we we never are in, are in conflict with people on the road, right? We're always peaceful. There's, there's never any you know, anger or anything. And I say that facetiously, but you know, what, what causes that anger for those people? Like, why is it that driving seems to be the worst in people? And we think about that peace that we want to have when we're driving. And when somebody cuts us off or isn't driving the way that they, what we think they should be, then we, our peace is disrupted. And we, we just tend to lash out because of that. So what are the sort of things that the Thessalonians would have been dealing with that would have disrupted their peace? Look at the instructions that Paul gives them, starting in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. And Paul is stressing the specific ways and actions on how, of how the Thessalonians are to treat each other within the church. I mean, he uses commands such as admonish, which we saw back at the beginning of the text that our leaders do. He says encourage, which we saw in each of Matt and Nathan's lessons in the last two weeks. He says help. Be patient. Seek to do good. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Just like the elders and the leaders of the church are charged with leading the congregation and to keep the peace, Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, all of y'all, to use Matt's word there, need to look out for each other as well. And not in the way that we treat our fellow drivers on the road, but in a loving and caring and peaceful way. Because what happens when there's people who are idle, or another way to put it is unruly, when they're allowed to continue to step out of line, when the faint-hearted and the discouraged continue to feel helpless, when those who can't care for themselves go uncared for, when we repay each other evil for evil. When we're not admonishing and encouraging each other to stay faithful, to hold on to that hope of salvation and in love for one another, even amidst trials or when somebody's done something wrong to you, the inevitable is going to happen. That's chaos, the opposite of peace. The church cannot function, let alone have peace amongst them, when we're not lovingly caring for one another. I mean, if you think about back in Acts 6, when the office of, of the deacon was, was established, 
That all came about because there was a complaint from the Hellenists that said their widows weren't being cared for. And what did the disciples do? They quickly gathered each other up and they said, all right, we need to take care of this. And they, dis they established the office of the deacon so that those who couldn't care for themselves were cared for. And it wasn't only just out of the love for each other, but it was also so that these people who were coming in together to create this new church would be in peace with one another. And while the world says, take care of yourself, make sure that yourself is fulfilled, Paul says, no, be looking out for others first. Always seek to, be, to do good to one another. Always seek and strive to live peacefully. And when the goal of the people of the church is to keep peace and look out for each other, so that all may one day be declared righteous before the Lord, that love can't help but to be spilled out into the world. I mean, that was the ministry of Jesus, right, when he was in this world. I mean, he admonished his dis disciples when they were idle. I mean, he encouraged them when they doubted or when they were discouraged. He helped out those who couldn't help themselves. And even when those around them continued to doubt and betray him, he was patient with them all. Glory. I mean, Jesus was the epitome of always striving to live peacefully, even to the point of death, so that everyone around him may experience the peace, not only in this world, but in eternity. And not only for his disciples and his followers, but for everyone. And that's why Paul didn't stop in verse 15 with one another. But he said, do good to everyone. While Paul was speaking specifically about those within the church in verses 12 and beginning of verse 15, he begins to use this universal or all-encompassing language here at the end of 15 and into our next part in verses 16 through 22. So, we're back in our car now. We've passed the police officers. We've passed our fellow drivers on the road. And we bring the focus in to ourselves, in our own car. We notice that we're getting to run out of gas. So we pull into a gas station and we fuel up check our gauges, we make sure that the tire levels are, are at the right place, we clean off our windshield, perhaps adjust our seats so that we're in the right position to drive when we get back on the road. And all these things are so that our car is going to be ready for the road and that we're not going to run into any sort of trouble on our way to our destination. And what Paul instructs the Thessalonians to do is pull over. Let's do a little maintenance check for ourselves so that we are prepared to be the best that we can be for each other and for everyone. Look at what Paul says here at the start of verse 16. And listen in for those universal words that he's using in his instructions to instruct them and in, in, to emphasize the frequency in which they should be doing these things. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all situations or circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And Paul's using this type of language to tell his readers that not just what they are to do, but what their very essence of their being should be. And this is where I get the always and the theme of always strive to live peacefully. And again, Paul has given the Thessalonians a list of ways to live in peace. But this time it's an, an internal reflection of what their personal attitudes and their actions should be. First, Paul says, Thessalonians, in all situations, in all circumstances, rejoice, pray, and be thankful. And I think about a conversation that I had with my son Mason recently after one of his baseball games. And he desperately wanted to hit a home run in one game, and his coach stopped him at third base because they were way ahead. They didn't want to run up the score. So in one of his last games, he had another chance to hit a home run. And this time he just ran through the stop sign at third base so he could get a home run. And it was at the end of the game again, and most of his teammates thought that he had stopped at third base. In fact, he did, but then he's like, no, I'm going to keep going. And, and so none of his teammates really poured out of the, the dugout and gave him the, you know, the mob scene at the home plate that they usually do when somebody hits a home run. So he gets back after the game, and they had won, and he hit a home run. He's like, I noticed that he was upset. He's like, well, nobody cared that I hit a home run. And I gave him the same instructions that Paul is giving the Thessalonians here, that sometimes in life things aren't going to happen the way that you think they're going to happen, but that we need to see the good in everything. And in Mason's situation, it was a lot easier to, you know, they won the game. He hit a home run. That's easier to, to explain to them. These are, it's easy to see the good in this. But for the Thessalonians, who were finding in the midst of persecution, right. or perhaps people that are doing evil to them, um, or witnessing seeing people who are idle or unruly, yeah. it would have been much more difficult for them to see the good in that situation. But what does Paul encourage them with? Look at the end of 18 into 19. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Paul continues in this universal speech here and using the entire Holy Trinity in the single statement. And in a worldly view, the Thessalonians could just justify being angry or having bad behavior or being discouraged in difficult situations. But that is not the will of God for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have received his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit that empowers them to always strive to live peacefully and to see the good in all situations. Romans 8.6 tells us, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Paul goes on to give more reasons to not quench the spirit in verse 20. He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every 
form of evil. The, the Spirit gives all who have it the power to discern what is good prophecy from evil prophecy. And we often think about prophecies in the Old Testament sense, sense that were given by the prophets, but the prophetic teachings didn't stop with them. I mean, the teaching of God, the Word of God did not stop with them. Jesus continued to teach the Word of God. Paul continued to teach the Word of God. The word of God. James and Peter, the Thessalonians, continued to teach the Word of God. This is the prophecies that he's talking about. And the Spirit empowers each of them to speak of God's true word to everyone that they tell it to and be able to discern correct teaching from false teaching and false prophets. I mean, this discernment allowed there to be peace amongst the early church so that there would not be chaos due to conflicting truths about what is claiming to be God's word. That's why Paul instructed them to test everything. Make sure what you're hearing and what you're teaching is truly God's word. And to hold fast to what is good and to abstain from what is evil. When false teaching finds its way into the church, it, it, it causes confusion, causes chaos and disorder. The true teaching of God from, from God is peaceful and orderly. And Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So now we climb back into our metaphorical car here, and we've passed the police officer, our fellow drivers, and we've fueled up in, at the station and we're driving in Michigan now, so we're going to talk about the roads and how we wish we could fill them ourselves, but we can't. And we get stuck at a red light that seems to take forever to turn green, and we get impatient. And all, all these things, we're at the mercy of the state and the Department of Transportation to take care of these things. There's nothing that we can really do ourselves to take care of these obstacles that we're running into. And Paul has given the Thessalonians a whole grocery list of things that they need to be to always strive to live peacefully. And he gives the ultimate solution here in his benediction and how to be at peace with their leaders, how to be at peace with each other, and with themselves. Verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I mean, look how Paul continues to use that universal language here, that all-encompassing language in this section. He says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, throughout this whole entire letter, Paul has been alluding to the Lord's return. I mean, Matt taught us a couple of weeks ago about how 
his return is that ultimate prize that they should be looking forward to. And, he's, and Paul says, let God of peace sanctify you so that you may walk in a manner that is pleasing to God and is worthy of God so that you can continue to do these things more and more so that you can say that you're always striving to live peacefully. And so that on that final day, your whole spirit, your whole soul and body will be seen blameless. And the Lord will say to you, well done. And if there was any doubt in the minds of the Thessalonians at this point, Paul gives them a sweet reminder of God's promise to them in verse 24. He says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I mean, listen to that again. I can't say it enough. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God's sanctification to those who believe in his Son is perfect. It's complete. And it's 100% necessary for anyone to say that they always strive to live peacefully. For anyone who wants to be presented blameless before the Lord. And it's 100% promised by the Lord. So we're in the last part here. We're back in our cars. And the last thing that I want you to think about, what you notice as you're driving, are the road signs. And you think about why we have road signs. It's so that we have specific instructions and rules for that current road that we're on. They aren't general rules or instructions that we would apply to any situations. But think about the speed limit signs on a specific road, or maybe you see a pass with care or entering the school zone sign. And at the end of their letter, Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy are giving their specific final instructions and requests to the Thessalonians, starting in verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This request of prayer from Paul reminds the Thessalonians that although Paul is an apostle of God, he still needs prayer from them. And prayer to stay faithful and peaceful to others and with God. I mean, I think about the text that I received from Jeff this week when he was in Virginia. He said, May the Lord be gracious to him to equip him to preach the word of God to these men. And Paul was a pretty popular guy amongst the Thessalonians. And we saw how much the Thessalonians longed to see him again. He, he was a pretty big deal to them. So his request for prayer showed humility. And it, by him asking for them to pray for him to be able to, be full, to fully submit and to be at peace with God to continue to sanctify him, I mean, that would have been an encouragement to the Thessalonians to always strive to live peacefully them, themselves. And it would show that Paul himself was a brother in Christ with them. And just as 
family members would have given each other kisses at that time, Paul instructs them to give all the brothers a holy kiss. And this would have shown that familial relationship, that family relationship that they had with each other and with the apostle, and that they all were members of the same family in the body of Christ. Paul's last command to them in this letter comes in verse 27. He says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. This instruction would have told the Thessalonians and required them to read the letter to the entire congregation, likely in the synagogues that they uh, would have been teaching uh, from the Old Testament in. And this letter being read and taught to the Church of, Thessal- to the church of Thessalonica is no different than the letter being read and taught here at Union Lake Baptist Church. Right. And this is part of the prophecy that Paul was talking about earlier. And he instructed not to despise. And they didn't even have to test this. Paul is handing this letter over to them and saying, this is God's word. This is what should be read and taught as God's word. Not reading it would have been despising prophecy. Not reading it would have not be living peacefully with the Lord. But by reading this letter, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul concludes with another benediction, which ties the end of the letter back to the very beginning where in verse 1 chapter 1 he said to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to you and peace only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ did the Thessalonians come to be rescued from their sin only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ did the Thessalonians become known through all of Macedonia as people who had the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And only through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ were they able to always strive to live peacefully. And only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ were they able to be declared righteous and blameless before the Lord himself and to be rescued from the wrath that would come on the day that he returned. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, is Union Lake Baptist Church like the church of Thessalonica? Are we always striving to live peacefully with our elders, with, our, with each other, with our own relationship with the Lord? And if you haven't already allowed yourself to give yourself completely over to the Lord and the God of peace, who will sanctify you completely, Do it now. And he will make your whole spirit and soul and body blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's coming back soon. Are we prepared? Are you prepared? Are your loved ones prepared? Are your neighbors, your co-workers? Let's show the world what it means to live peacefully. And as Nathan taught last week, to be children of the light, shining in 
the lives of those who are living in the darkness. Let's pray.